Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. And welcome back, everybody. 132 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer with you. Brennan Escott back at the 630 Chad Studios. Momentarily, we'll bring in John Shannon. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup, takeout option items. For a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Stoffer recommendation, Mediterranean chicken. Brendan Escott's recommendation is the Texan. Just before we went to break, we did Oilers Now Trivia for Greta Global Street Food, Greta Bar, Eat, Drink, and Play. The question, uh, since we had Brian Lawton on the show today, talking about the 1983 draft, uh, Brian sort of shared some of his insights into maybe appreciating the position that Yessa Pugliarvi was in, given that you know Brian was selected ahead of the likes of Pat LaFontaine, Steve Eisman. I asked, name the two Oiler players from the 83 draft that Edmonton selected that played north of 800 games. Games. And we had a fairly quick response to this one, Brendan Escott, didn't we? We did. The first caller, Raj C., was able to nail down the answer of Jeff Bukaboom and Essa Tikkanen. I know uh, uh, Raj uh, S., he was in politics once, a very smart uh, doctor type. Uh, many of you probably know who I'm talking about, Raj Sherman. But uh, anyhow, uh, good work by Raj C. on that one. All right, let's bring aboard uh, a guy that uh, was not a doctor but played one on TV. Wasn't that the was was that not the commercial? I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. We welcome back to the show. For our friends at Legacy Heating and Cooling, pay no overtime rates on 24/7 service and repairs. We welcome back to the show NHL insider John Shannon. John, how you doing? Good, and welcome to the boys at Legacy. It's nice to hear from them. Yeah. Um, but by the way, if you're going to use the slogan, get it right. You know, I I, I, I didn't. I, I'm not a doctor, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Was the, was the actual television? No, 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 no. no. The line was yeah. it was it was a soap opera star, and the guy's commercial tongue in cheek was, "I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV." Oh, so that was it. I like mine better. You like yours better? Well, that that happens once in a while. Hey, uh, well, you know what? We'll get to, uh, you know what? We'll get to the CBA stuff, and we'll get to a question about yes, Paul Uh Today, and I, I guess in about ten minutes' time, the Steelers are going to play the Ravens finally. And yep. the des- the decision by NBC to broadcast this game at three forty Eastern. I've already had a couple guys in the business suggest to me how much do you think ESPN slash ABC hasn't reached out to Roger Goodell and said, hey, we would have put this game on prime time for you tonight. Do those sort of things happen in the TV business? All the time. I mean, there's the, the, the Steelers-Ravens game is a two-pronged thing. And the fact I was telling somebody earlier today, um, when you consider that the, how the Broncos were treated with their last lock of, last, uh, uh, lack of quarterbacks on Sunday versus 
the Steelers-Ravens situation, and NBC was owed a primetime game, and so and they pay so much money that the NFL was bound and determined to make sure that this primetime game got played appropriately. The, the, the Denver game is just on, was was just on a, a docket of Sunday afternoon games. Right. Uh, that one of the networks one of the networks is owed, so it's, it's a lot less money. So that's why this game has been postponed and postponed, but guaranteed that it would play. And then on top of that, we're at 3:45 because NBC said, "Well, yeah, we, it's our game. We own the game, and we want it." Uh, and we're not letting anybody else carry it, but we're not going to carry it at 7 o'clock when you want it because we've got the Rockefeller tree uh, uh, ceremony that draws almost 7 million people. We can't take that chance. So we are now saying that you have to play it in the afternoon, and that's what they've done. Do you remember the Hardy Bowl? Oh, sure. 1969. Educate our yeah, listeners yeah. What, what happened there. Well... So, these, this was in the days of the old AFL, the American Football League, before it joined the the NFL. Uh, and uh, I, I, Jets Raiders, I believe it was Jets Raiders, yes. yep. uh, at uh, at Shea Stadium in New York. Um, it went past seven o'clock, and NBC in those days was very rigid in its times and in its places. Said, you know what? At seven o'clock, we're going off the air because we promoted Heidi. We got a lot of money at stake for running Heidi the movie at 7 o'clock. The game went long, and uh, the game actually changed leads after they went off the air, and the Raiders won, and the Jets didn't, and or vice versa. I can't remember now. It's been so long. But they literally went off the air before the game ended because they had to, they had to go to a previously scheduled event called Heidi the movie. Yeah, so the, uh, the the Jets had the lead, and the Raiders scored two touchdowns in the final minute to win the game, but nobody saw that. Nobody saw nobody the comeback. And uh, a couple, uh, ironically enough, less than, not, not too much later, the New York Jets ended up, uh, the, the, the two teams were the two best teams in the old AFL at that time. Uh, the Raiders were with the win went eight and two, and I think the Jets dropped to seven and three. They met the AFL championship game. The Jets won that one; it was a close one. And then the right. Jets ended up winning their their Super Bowl. If Joe Namath that quarterback. So, in many ways, it was a lesson learned by the network. I don't think they'd ever do it again. And with, you know, right. but this was pre-social media, pre-internet, pre—you know—the only way you could complain was if you if you had a if you were prepared to pay the long-distance charges or you wrote a letter. So it wasn't as if there was instant feedback from the fans. This was no different in many ways, Bob, the, the, the famous events in March of 1987 on Hockey Night in Canada with my pal Dave Hodge. Tell us uh, the story. And they had showed, and, they, and you know, the, the, the Maple Leafs game ended relatively early, so the producer decided to go uh, to the end of the Montreal game, which was 5-2 to two for... Montreal over Philadelphia at the time, and the Flyers came back and scored three goals late in the third period, and it happened before 11 o'clock Eastern time. They went to commercial and came back at the day. We're not allowed to show the rest of the game for the rest of the country uh, because we have to go to the news. And Hodge, uh, you know, went on the air, apologized, said, you know, that's a stupid decision. I don't know who's running this network. Threw his pen, got up, closed his briefcase, put a jacket on, and never worked for Hockey Night in Canada again uh, because they uh, suspended him, and in his view, they broke his contract, and so he was gone. 
But, and then the following year, mysteriously, the league, or the, the network changed its policy. If you go to a game, you have to finish the game. And that's exactly what happened. So and it's happened, for, it happened at NBC. It happened with the CBC and Hockey Night in Canada. It happens all the time. People learn their lessons from their mistakes. Well, and I, and maybe, again, you can educate our listeners a bit here. John Shannon, our NHL insider, you worked for all those years on Hockey Night. But uh, come playoff time, there is always, I, I'm led to believe there was always con- uh, a somewhat contentious relationship between the news side of CBC, who valued what they did considerably on a day-to-day basis, and then the, the Hockey Night side, which, as we all know, brought in all the money. Now, I guess you could argue, you could argue the news side brought in money too, but it's called taxpayer dollars. Whereas the money that was brought in, I'm not touching taxpayer dollars. Um, uh, What I would say is that Hockey Night in Canada was responsible at that point for 50% of the network revenue and literally financed financed many of the television shows produced by the CBC over the years. But was there animosity between the, the news department and the, and, and, oh, and yeah. the sports department and hockey? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know, here's, here's the problem, Bob. We got to play in the sandbox every day. Yeah, we you know we we had fun. We were we weren't near as serious as our as our news cohorts, and we you know when when we went on the air it was we went on the air for three hours or seven hours depending on what time whether depending on length. And there was a lot of people within the and I understand it with journalistic integrity uh, that the journalists and ego. were angry. And ego. Well. Yeah, probably. But yep. uh, the journalistic integrity was that the news still happens, and why is uh, why is hockey uh, going in prime time every night on the CBC when the news uh, gets gets uh, delayed and gets actually gets canceled on many nights? That changed over the years with cable and and uh, putting the the national uh, on uh, CBC News Network. But uh, certainly there was animosity yeah. throughout the CBC and jealousy for what Hockey Night in Canada did for so many years. John, I'll say this because I know you were a big part of those broadcasts. Uh, the, the standard you guys had was off the charts. I mean, mid to late 80s and well into uh, the late 90s, early 2000s, it was, it was second to none. Hey, today's a significant date in the history of the Montreal Canadiens organization. 25 years ago today, what happened? significant day for the National Hockey League, not just the Montreal Canadiens, because it, 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 was, it was a change in the balance of power. Uh, 25 years ago was a Saturday. Uh, it was uh, a hockey night in Canada game in Montreal, the Red Wings versus uh, Canadians. Uh, the Red Wings pumped nine goals past Patrick Waugh before Mario Tremblay pulled him out of the net in the third period. And Patrick, or second period rather, and Patrick Waugh vowed never to play for Montreal again, and he didn't. Got traded to Colorado on the following Monday. Colorado, the former Quebec Nordiques, won the Stanley Cup that year in 1996, and the balance of power changed from the east to the west. And we haven't had a Stanley Cup champion born from Canada since Patrick Waugh led the Canadians in 
We did we did three games that night on Hockey Night in Canada early. Most of the country saw the Anaheim Mighty Ducks against the Maple Leafs because Paul Correa was the best player at hockey at that point. Um, and the Red Wings were in Montreal, only in the province of Quebec in English. So, so there, there was no way that most of the country saw it, but the events of that day were so important, so dramatic, we joined the game many times in the second and third periods as the score started to grow and grow and grow, and then Waugh got pulled. And it became the, the topic of discussion in our country for three days as what was going to happen with Patrick Waugh. It was tremendous drama, live drama, and it really proved to many people that, you know, professional sports or sports on television is, is truly the only reality, reality TV that works. Well, you know what? Uh, the Canadians, an organization that had John Beliveau, who passed away six years ago today, class act. Right. But but guys have different personalities. And, you know, Mario Tremblay, he was a hard-ass when he played. And you could see, like, if you were to predict two guys that would be compostable in that situation, John, come on, Patrick Waugh, Mario Tremblay, all day I'd go, you know what? I could see that happening. And it happened. Well, yeah, the interesting thing from a TV perspective, Bob, and I, I tweeted this out, um, but if you go on YouTube and find the game, if you can find the Hockey Night in Canada version, go go for it, because I, I can't find it. I can find the French version, and I can find the, the Red Wings version. But the, the, the director that night was a guy named Jacques Primo. He did an amazing job because he knew how important this was. And as Wah left uh, the ice and went to the bench, put his took his equipment off, down the hallway and came back. Jacques Primo stayed with him, and he said, something's going to happen, something's going to happen. And as Wah walked past Mario Tremblay and there was that glare, you thought, oh, that's dramatic. But he stuck with it, and he showed some patience with the picture because it was so dramatic. And then Wah got up again and walked past Tremblay one more time and walked to Ronald Corey and said, I'm never playing for your team again. And you saw it all live on television. You saw it, and it was magnificent, and it all was because of the patience of one person, and that was this, this guy I'm talking about, Jacques Primo. He showed such patience to know that something big was going to happen, and that to me was as good as television as we're ever going to get, and it was on a soiree to hockey first and then hockey night in Canada after that. John Shannon, our NHL insider. John, Gary Bettman spoke today with the uh, Sports Business Journal. I know you've yeah. seen the comments. They've been tweeted out. Um, how would you – his his comments certainly sounded tempered, didn't they? Uh, well, I mean, Gary, Gary's, Gary in those scenarios always tries to be diplomatic and tempered. You know, Gary's not going to go out and, and, and fuel the fire. And, you know that there is there there the discussions between the union and the league may be quite you know vitriolic and and harsh when they're going toe to toe behind behind closed scenes, but they're not going to do that in a public forum like that. He he was trying to explain to people that the world's changing and 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 we have it within the right of the memorandum of understanding of the summer's CBA extension. We have the right to make changes um and just as you and i have talked about the last two weeks bob 
so he was trying to not necessarily appease the players or appease the union. He was just trying to explain it in a rational manner. Whether people believe him or not is another story. But that that's really what he was trying to do today. He was not going to try he was never going to try to be something that was to stir the pot for sure. You have your sources plugged in the league. Uh, David Staples was just on, and uh, David, as you know, covers COVID for Post Media out of Edmonton. David suggested it could be plausible that American markets could have fans back in the stands in May. Do you envision the National Hockey League, uh, and this obviously would not be the case in Canada, uh, Canada would be at a later date, do you envision the national? Do you think the National Hockey League is planning uh, with the return of play? Do, do you think they're factoring in having fans in the U.S. by May, or do you think that uh, they're kind of operating under the context that we we would not have fans for the 21 season? I mean, I don't think this. I don't think the NHL's position has changed. I think that they planned to start the season with no fans in place. I think that there was, if there was an option partially through the season, halfway through the season, to put a, a, a small percentage in the seats, they would. And then they, everybody has their fingers and toes crossed that by June and we're in playoffs, that there's more than just a fraction of the people in the seats. Absolutely. I think that's always been part of the discussion. And quite, quite frankly, Bob, I think that that's been one of the issues, maybe even between the owners and the league office, to say, why start in January, push it back to February, so that we have a better chance to put people in the seat, at least maybe in the second half of the regular season, as opposed to just the playoffs. Absolutely. So, I do expect there is an opportunity to put people in the seats in May. It will happen. John, I'm going to ask you this every time you're on, because you're our NHL insider for Legacy Heating and Cooling, pay no overtime rates on 24-7 service and repairs. Are you going to play this year? Yes, we're going to play in 2021. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah. We're, 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 uh, you know, I, I think. I think now. I think what's coming to light now is both sides understand that it's better for the business to to play. It's it's good for you know if a player gets a portion of his two million dollar salary, that's better than zero. I think the league understands that that's the, what they're going to how they're going to have to sell the players. And I also think now I think that the players are in a position to say, listen, I don't want to play. I don't want to go to camp on the 20th of December. I want to stay home with my family for Christmas. I'm prepared to do everything, going to camp, finish quarantine if I live in Europe, that we can do that in early January and start late in January or early February, yes. Great stuff, John. Thanks for your time. Have a good day. Yep, 151 at Edmonton. We'll take a quick timeout and wrap up the show after this. Hi, this is Oscar Clefbaum from the Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Shack. Well, might not be a guy we see this upcoming season. You just heard John Shannon, our NHL insider, joining us for Legacy Heating and Cooling. And John's convinced uh, we're going to play this year. Just before we get to this day in Oilers history, again, 25 years ago today, Montreal Canadiens, the big showdown between Patrick Waugh and Mario Tremblay that led to uh, the ultimate departure from the, you know, the guy that got the Canadiens the uh, 1986 Stanley Cup and uh, backstopped them uh, to the final in 89, and then they won again in 93. Uh, also, six years ago today, Jean Beliveau, one of the classiest men, ever uh passed away 
for Oilers, we talked about the fact three years ago today was the uh, date Edmonton built up a 6-1 lead in the third period in Cowtown. It was actually a Saturday night game. And ultimately, is that right? I could have sworn it was a Saturday game in Calgary. What day is it today, Wednesday? Yep, it was a Saturday game. Uh, yes, Paul Yarby with a couple goals in that game for the Oilers' 7-5 win. On this date in Oilers history, Brendan Escott has dug up another nugget for you. In 1966, former Oilers captain Kelly Buckberger is born in Langenberg, Saskatchewan. He was drafted by Edmonton in the ninth round of the 1985 draft and played 12 years with the franchise, leaving as the last standing member when the uh, of the dynasty years when the Atlanta Thrashers took him. <laughs> Atlanta Thrashers took him in the '99 expansion draft. Uh, he did win the cup. He debuted in the '90 or '87 playoffs. Did Buckberger won the cup then and in '90 was eventually named the ninth captain in team history wore the sea for four seasons do you know who he fought in the 87 finals went right after this this guy it was shocking dave brown there you really? go wow. oh yeah yeah that was that was everybody's first guy to kelly buckbarger experience and look he wasn't on the dave brown level as a fighter but he was game and showed up and was a tremendous team player for a number of years uh, in the organization scored obviously the huge overtime goal 97 against dallas as well tomorrow on orders now louis debrusque back in the fold sportsnet's brian burke as well for canadian power pack alberta's leader in electrical construction service electrical prefabrication and solar and george rock so it truly will be a truculent thursday reed wilkins has inside sports tonight any idea what he's shaking with brendan <laughs> yeah i will be uh, on the show actually i think we're going to talk a little ajhl uh, former ahl coach current nhl on sportsnet analyst justin Bourne. he'll also hear from curling canada ceo katherine henderson on the plan of using canada olympic park down in calgary as a bubble site for uh, 2021's major curling events all right jaylen nye 6 30 afternoons always has the up Updated information for you uh, with Dr. Dina Hinshaw. That'll take place at 3.30 today. And Jason Kenny, the uh, Premier, will be on the show as well. Some of you will like that. Some of you won't. It's the way it is. Up next, the Global News Weather Traffic Update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad.